blessed to have this beautiful preschool across the campus from us here. And I just want you to know that I grew up um, with an insufficient foundation because there was no preschool in my hometown. I didn't attend preschool. I know some of you are shocked to hear that. When we think about um, the preschool, I, one of the things that I remember is that this was not the first attempt at building a preschool. Lorraine, you may remember that. Um, we had a team of people who presented uh, a project of transforming our current space, uh, the church space, into a first um, um, phase preschool. And we had gotten tremendous response to that, especially from our leadership, our board of ministry. And so um, there was one final meeting that this team had to meet with the board. And they met with the board, and one of the board members who, whose wife had been intricately involved on the team of developing the preschool had rerun the numbers. He was a banker, and he wasn't sufficiently satisfied with the numbers. And um, so in that meeting, he made a motion to reject it. And so we lost the first chance at building a preschool here. And the team, the team that got rejected, what they told me was they weren't listening to what we were saying. They weren't hearing what we were talking about. It's not just about the money. It's about making sure that these children know the love of God. And so it was interesting to think back on that and to remember that rejection from lack of hearing is a common experience, even for Christians. That is what Jesus had encountered as he went back to his hometown of Nazareth. And as he encountered this, his friends, his family, the people that he grew up with in Nazareth, they were amazed at his teaching. It says they were astounded where did Jesus develop all of this ability? He has such wisdom, and his miracles are so powerful. Where did he get this? And then they began to analyze their family background. Now, wait a minute. Isn't this the son of Mary, you know, who's married to Joseph? He's the builder. Wasn't Jesus a builder? Well, a builder, the Greek word for that is tekton. A builder would be someone who works with wood or stone. Now, if you've ever been to Nazareth, what you'll notice is that there is very little wood in this town, in this village, in this community. Um, so most likely, Jesus was probably fluent with working with woods, but his primary work was probably as a stonemason. And so this town is built with stone everywhere. Now, as they're looking at Jesus, they're thinking about his family. They're remembering how he grew up. And what they are beginning to ponder is, this isn't possible. This, this kid didn't go to college. How could he have this kind of wisdom? How did this Nazarene become so powerful with his teaching, with his healing? Then they refer to him as something else. 
They refer to him as the son of Mary, which would have been kind of a diss. I mean, because in that culture, in that context, you always referred to people as the son of the father. Well, some theologians say, well, maybe they were thinking that God was his father so that he didn't have a father here on earth. But we also know that Joseph was his adopted father, his earthly father. Um, there is um, some ex uh, examples, in the, especially in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures, where uh, men and women are introduced as sons and daughters of a woman. In those particular cases, it is when the woman is more famous, more well-known than her husband. For example, there is a reference to, um, to Abner and to, uh, to Joab um, as brothers, and they are referred to as sons of Zeruiah. Zeruiah was one of King David's sisters, and so because she was a sister to the king, she was more famous, more, uh, uh, had more notary than, than the husband, than the father. And so in the scriptures, they refer to her uh, as the primary uh, matriarch of the family. So that might be the case in this situation as well. We just don't know for sure. What we do know is that they probably meant it in a derogatory manner. What they were probably saying is that Jesus is a fraud or a poser, that Jesus isn't real, that he is just doing this stuff and figuring out ways to pull it over people in terms of his uh, magic. So why couldn't they hear what Jesus was saying as he was teaching? Why couldn't they believe in him as the Messiah? The turn happens between the accolades and the disparagement in verses 2 and 3. The word or the phrase that is used about Jesus' family and friends, this community, is, is the word scandalous. And what that means is, that it's a Greek word, actually, scandal, is, you get that from the Greek, it's literally translated, transliterated into scandal in the English language. But scandal is the word um, that is used here to describe their reaction to Jesus. So what it's saying is that the community, this town, the village of Nazareth, the people who lived there, the people in his neighborhood, his friends, his family, all of them were scandalized by what Jesus was saying and doing. Now it gets translated, you know, a little softer in our translations. It says, well, they rejected him, or they were offended by him, or they turned against him. But what we have here is a literal understanding of that they were scandalized by Jesus. Jesus' very presence, his words, his miracles, all of these things caused them to stumble and to not believe. It wasn't that they, the Nazarenes, didn't have enough faith in Jesus. The issue is they had no faith in Jesus. They had no faith. They rejected him, they rejected his presence, and they rejected his power, all of it. 
Now, I'm going to be honest with you. On occasion, I can be offended by some of the things that Jesus says too. Jesus tells his disciples that he is the Messiah, that he must go to Jerusalem, that he must suffer, that he must be crucified, and on the third day be raised again from the dead. The disciples go nuts over this. They are so angry that he says this because they have such a majestic, powerful view of the Messiah. Now, we've had 2,000 years to get used to that, right? So that doesn't really offend us. But what about this? Then Jesus says, if any of you want to be my followers, then deny yourselves, take up your cross, and follow me. If you want to follow Jesus, you will deny yourself. You'll go out. You'll go out for Jesus and get yourself killed. Anybody ready to sign up for that duty right now? I mean, this is the 4th of July. We, we commemorate all those who have given their lives for our nation. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people who are willing to give their lives for their nation. How many of us are willing to give our lives for our faith? You know, thankfully, we live in a free country. And so we don't really have to worry about that. But if you lived in China, you would worry about that. If you lived in Iran, you would worry about that. You see, we have a privilege that many Christians don't have. And that is that we live in a free state. So to be offended then means that Jesus wants us to deny ourselves. Does that mean he wants us to deny our wealth? Are we to deny our health? What about denying your own family? How many of us are ready to do that? You see, Jesus' words can be scandalous. They can be offensive. And sometimes Jesus wants us to be offended so that God can continue to work in us, a new work, a work that takes us back to the core of who we are as God's people, knowing that, that we need God, that we want God, that we desire to truly follow God. After Jesus' rejection in Nazareth, Jesus then sends out his disciples. Now this is unique. Most rabbis, no, no rabbi had ever done this before. Actually, there's no record of any rabbi ever sending out his disciples. So Jesus has done a couple of things here that's unusual. One is that he has called his disciples to him. All the other rabbis called their disciples to the Torah. So Jesus calls the disciples to him personally. And then Jesus sends them out to do the work that he has been doing. Others other rabbis didn't do that. So in this calling, you might say that these disciples are not really well prepared. If you've read any of the first chapters of Mark, what you've heard um, are times of um, questions by the disciples, times of unbelief by the disciples, and times of uh, pushing back against Jesus. And, and so they're not really prepared to go out and to represent 
the name of Jesus. And yet Jesus sends them out. Interesting. That our calling does not depend upon our preparation. Our calling depends upon the authority and the name of Jesus. That's why we go. Not because we're ready and prepared, but because the king, Jesus, the Messiah, has called us and told us to go. This is truly a ministry of compassion that Jesus is teaching. It includes healing. It includes casting out demons. On this missionary journey, Jesus warns his disciples that they too, like him, will face rejection. He tells them that some who listen to you will not receive you. Some will, but some will not. And you need to be able to move on from the rejection. That's hard, isn't it? I mean, when we take rejection personally, it's like you just want to cower. You don't want to come out. But what Jesus is saying is that you're not doing this because of you. You're doing this because of Jesus. And so keep your focus on the purpose. Something that we often miss, I think, in stories like this, I believe, is how well Jesus knows his people. How well Jesus knows us. How well Jesus knows you and me. Sometimes I forget that. Do you ever forget that? Let's practice a little bit. Why don't you turn to your neighbor, your sister, your brother, and say, God knows you. Go ahead. (laughs) Now Jesus said, prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown, among their own people, and in their own family. That's where they will not be honored. They will not be honored in their hometown, by their neighborhoods, by their own families. Jesus recognizes that those close to him cannot hear his teaching. He has four brothers, two sisters, and none of them, none of them have heard what he is trying to say. Jesus recognizes this because he stands in a long line of prophets who have encountered this. Prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and and Amos and and Malachi and, and so many others. Others who were rejected. And Jesus will be rejected too. Ultimately, Jesus will be rejected by the Sanhedrin and by the Roman procurator Pontius Pilate. In Ezekiel, the second chapter, this is how well God knows us. In in Ezekiel, the second chapter, God calls Ezekiel to be a prophet, to speak the word of the Lord to his people. This is how uh, these first few verses um, explain this. The word of the Lord comes to Ezekiel, and it says, Stand up, son of man, said the voice. I want to speak with you. And the spirit came into me, Ezekiel says. The spirit came into me as he spoke, 
And he set me on my feet, and I listened carefully to his words. These are the words. Son of man, I am sending you to the nation of Israel, a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been rebelling against me from the very day, uh, to this very day. They are a stubborn and a hard-hearted people, but I am sending you to them. This is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or whether they refuse to listen, for remember, they are rebels, at least they will know they have had a prophet among them. God knows us. God knows who we are. God knows our warts, our sins, our brokenness, and God knows our blessings, our gifts, our adulations. God knows us, and Jesus knows us. A rebellious nation and a stubborn and hard-hearted people. And what does God do with these stubborn, hard-hearted, unbelieving people? Now, before I answer that, let me say this. I am also amazed about how much God loves his people. I mean, I'm truly, truly amazed at how much God loves people. Matter of fact, I want you to turn to your neighbor now and says, God loves you. God loves them so much that he sends them another prophet, Ezekiel, and then another, and then another, and he has sent prophets before these. God sent the Israelites, Ezekiel, to share God's word with them, whether they listened to him or whether they didn't listen to him. And then he sends them Jesus. And Jesus sends them his disciples. That's the second part of our lesson for today. And after he sends the disciples, after Pentecost, after the resurrection, the ascension, after Pentecost, then he sends them the apostles. And then he sends them the church. That's us. And now... We are teaching and preaching and healing and casting out demons and feeding the hungry and caring for those who are abandoned. Do you begin to see the picture here? God knows you. God knows you. And God loves you. God loves you and is committed to you. See, that's the true meaning of that word love is commitment, right? And so God loves us and is committed to us. When you listen and when you don't listen, God continues to send you prophets and teachers and evangelists and pastors and apostles. And Jesus isn't done with the church today. Jesus is calling you. Now, I'm going to change that a little bit because I've been watching the Suns. And I don't know if you saw the, the post-game interview after they won the, the Western Finals, but they interviewed Coach Monty Williams. And he says, one of the things that the team had to learn from me was that I'm not calling them out. I'm calling them up. So what I want you to know is that Jesus is not calling you out. He is calling you up. 
And the reason I can say that is because Monty Williams borrowed that from a theologian. The theologian is a, a prophetic minister from England. His name is Graham Cook. I heard him use it in a, in a lecture that he gave in 2013. And what he said was, God, God is not calling you out. God is calling you up to your identity in Christ Jesus. God is calling you up. He knows that you and I are not ready. We're kind of like the, was it the Saturday Night Live advertisement, not ready for prime time? I mean, that's who we are. We're not ready for prime time. Let's say that you're going on a trip, and you've laid out all of your possessions, all the things that you want to take on this trip. You've got two bedroom beds full of your things all over your beds, and now you've got to figure out how to put them into one large suitcase. And then your friend or your spouse comes to you and says, for this trip, you can take a coat and your toothpaste. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, don't get bogged down by all the stuff. Keep it simple. And just take what you need. God will provide the rest. You need not doubt. God will provide. It also teaches us, enables us to trust. To trust in God, to trust in the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus' call to mission is much more expansive than just getting people to hear and to believe in him. We hear things from the disciples about how he was preaching, how, how the disciples were preaching, how people were repenting, how the demons were being cast out, there was healing, there was anointing with oil. All these things are described in our reading for today. You see, Jesus is concerned not only about you personally, but he is concerned about the whole kingdom of God. He is concerned about God's sin-sick world. He is concerned about God's creation. That is why we pray about God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus knows that as followers that we will experience rejection. If we, if we take the call up, Jesus knows that we as followers will experience rejection as he did. That's just going to happen. But his love for the world is greater than any rejection that you could experience. And God wants us to have that same love for the world. If it's hard to understand what kind of love that is, I think Patty and I can give you a quick illustration. We just spent two weeks with, um, well, for a part of that time, fi all five of our grandchildren in Chicago. And we love our grandchildren, but, you know, one of the things, if you don't have grandchildren, um, one of the things that uh, you will learn when you do have grandchildren is that they love you. They love you in ways that you can't even imagine. They trust you. They look up to you. 
That's the kind of love that God wants us to be sharing with this world. He doesn't want us fighting. He doesn't want us divided. He wants us loving one another, healing the sick, caring for the homeless, feeding the hungry. And when we do that, then we are living up to the call of Jesus. So Jesus is the one who calls us. And he has called you. So church, this is my question for you. Are you ready? Are you ready to live up? Amen.